Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show is proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling aircraft easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode 58, Avalon Quickcast number 5. We're standing here, uh, myself, Steve Fisher and Grant McHeron. We're ready to tackle the air show again, mate. We're feeling pretty tired, but uh, fortunately the weather is finally being kind to us. It's a sunny morning here this morning. Yeah, a little brisk, but uh, mate, you may be tired, but I had a can of mother on the way in here, so I'm feeling pipped, hyped and ready to go. I certainly hope you, t- you uh, explained to our friend David Vanderhoof what mother was. I think he was a little confused on Twitter last yeah, night. Yeah, I think he went all Sigmund Freud on us instead of Red Bull type uh, energy drink but uh, no there is a crowd streaming in around us Uh, we've managed to get in reasonably early so we've got to park sort of close even though we're in one of the uh, R1 type of media park areas but uh, you know yeah, helicopter going over. Yeah, that'd and, be uh, the way to come in here, yeah, wouldn't it? I think yeah. so. We might have to look at that next show. But uh, meanwhile, we've got a we've got a bit of a change of crew this morning. Now, uh, change of photographer. First off, we have our uh, usual photographer, Adam. Say good morning. Say good morning, mate. Uh, good morning. Hi, I'm not Anthony Simmons. Oh ah, well, speaking of that, we also have this bloke. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons, and this is the view from Avalon International Aviation Air Show. There you go. And he ooh, almost ooh, got that title ooh. right. Yeah. He did very well, didn't he? I think he did pretty well indeed. Now, Anthony, we've got a mission today, mate. We've uh, we've dragged you along. You were going to catch the train. I don't know what you were thinking. Not a very reliable form of public transport, as you should well know. But uh, we're going to come in here and see what we can teach you about aviation today, see if we can get you into an aircraft. I don't reckon you're going to be able to teach me anything. Oh, really? I'm absolutely positive. I'll come out just as ignorant as I go in. (laughs) Well, I don't know, Anthony. It is an air show. It's full of aircraft. We could actually teach you an aileron from an elevator. Elevator, they're the things that you go up in shopping centres and an aileron. I'm not even going to no. tell them about empennage. Okay, <laughs> moving right along. Okay, we're looking forward to a fun day. Now, of course, it's the uh, the first day here, the first fully uh, open to the public day. And uh, like Grant said, there's a lot of people here. Not going to be as easy for us to move around today. And uh, folks, you probably should expect uh, a lot more uh, interruptions by the aircraft because there'll be a lot more flying today. So if you hear a lot of our interviews being clipped, uh, faded in and out, uh, that'll be why. Because uh, it's very hard to record when you've got, uh, you know, fighter jets going by with full afterburner. Uh, the other thing is there's probably going to be a lot of background noise with a lot of people talking and uh, lots of kids screaming and all that sort of stuff. Well I know my two kids are lurking around here so that'll make enough noise on its own. So uh, gentlemen uh, let's get through the x-ray machines here and uh, let's go. Yeah I want to hit the machine that goes bing! <laughs> Squadron Leader Matthew Harper, welcome aboard to Playing Crazy Down Under. Great, thanks for having me. Oh mate, it's great to have you here and uh, congratulations on getting a tour of duty with the Raptor. Yeah, it's uh, and it certainly is a tough job but I'm, I'm very honoured to be the person that can actually make it happen and, and be there representing the Australian government. So that's, that's awesome. Now Matt, let's talk right back at the start. Uh, what got you interested in flying? Well, I mean, um, I think that just, just the love of you know, seeing planes fly around. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always growing up, going to school, thought that that would be a, a fantastic job just to kind of see the world from you know, yep. above. And, yep. and I, uh, straight out of school, I thought I'd um, join the Air Force. So I went straight from, okay. from school here in Melbourne to the Australian Defence Force Academy and after that straight to pilot training out there in, uh, in Perth. Okay, so that was, you learned everything through the RAF? I did. Okay. Yep. 
And uh, after pilot training in Perth, so you went, did you go through CT4s first? Or? No, I was uh, um, part of, I guess, you know, a couple of courses prior to when they transitioned to start using the, the CT4 as part of the initial training. So I went through all through PC9. Okay. PC9 was the first aircraft I ever flew. Wow. And uh, yeah, I was straight to turbines. A, that's it. Yes, yeah, it's a great little jet as well. So I went straight from that to uh, the Mackie, the yep. MB326H, and through that for flew that for a little while and then was lucky enough to actually go over and fly with the RAF um, with the Hawk T1A okay. and uh, got to spend a year flying with those guys uh, at RAF Valley and had a great experience um, you, know, you know concentrating on you know some different flying skills and what we teach uh, here in Australia and then came back and flew the Hawk 127 for a little while and then transitioned to the F-18 where I was lucky enough to spend uh, about six years before transitioning to the F-22. Okay. Which squadron were you at uh, with the, uh, with the uh, Hornet? I uh, um, my first squadron after uh, finishing the conversion was 75 squadron up at Tyndall yep. and uh, you know that was just a you know fantastic experience up there and you know a remote part of Australia up near Catherine and the squadron up there is just fantastic the flying airspace is brilliant you've really got a lot of flexibility to employ tactically how you want to and you know it's a you know it's just a great uh, you know place in Australia to be flying fighters and were fast jets always the goal for you or did you have your eyes on flying in general no I think um, you know you always try and be pretty generic with what you want to do um, out there but I certainly always wanted to fly um, fighters and that was always the goal and I was very very fortunate that I was given the opportunity to you know, step up to the plate and see if I uh, had what it uh, took to be able to fly fighter aircraft out there. Okay now you've uh, transitioned to the RAF for a while you've uh, gone to the USAF uh, what was involved in making those transitions happen? Well um, certainly with reference to the F-22 um, position, that's uh, you certainly need some qualifications for, for that job. And I was lucky enough, um, timing-wise, that I just happened to meet all the minimum requirements to be eligible to apply for the exchange. And um, I was lucky enough to get selected at the at the end. So um, you know, it's certainly a little bit daunting at first, being the first Australian um, to fly a fifth-generation aircraft and transition to the F-22. So. Um, you know, I was a little bit nervous uh, starting out, but it was, you know, flying is flying, and, and regardless of whether it's in the, the UK or uh, you know, in the in the US, uh, once you actually get into the cockpit and start operating, you know, that everything just starts to you know happen yeah. you know, more naturally. And how was the transition? What did you have to do to convert from an 18 to a 22? Well, I mean, it's the same um, course that everyone else does. Um, we're actually very lucky that uh, the conversion F22 is actually quite straightforward from an hours perspective, simply because. You know, the simulators these days are very, very good, yeah. and uh, with great simulators, you can minimise the time that you actually spend flying the aircraft. So the conversion itself is quite straightforward. For someone like me that had around, um, you know, 16, 1700 hours flying fighters uh, and other aircraft, um, it was only a couple of month transition. And okay. at the end of the, the couple of month transition, it was uh, out into the squadron. Okay. So Matt, you're now on the F-22, and uh, how does she fly? Well, it's a great aircraft to fly. Very, very um, easy from a pilot's perspective. The cockpit layout is, uh, you know, they've really spent a good time, um, a good amount of time, you know, perfecting it and everything that you would expect to transition from like a fourth gen aircraft to a fifth gen aircraft. So not only in the uh, capabilities of the, you know, sensors and, you know, yeah. what the aircraft actually does out there from a tactical employment perspective, but the cockpit itself is very, very well designed. So um, I've found that, you know, flying the aircraft is probably the easiest part, you know, tactically operating it is, you know, a lot easier than what you might expect because okay. you know, all the displays and sensors are all mechs just to make a, the pilot's um, you know, job just really focus on tactical employment rather than trying to interpret any of the displays and information that might be out there. Okay, so what kind of displays have you got in front of you? 
Well, we've got a, a number of really large displays which pretty much sit directly in front of the, the pilot. We've got one, um, uh, our large sort of centre display is what we use as our primary, um, I guess, tactical employment display and it displays everything that the aircraft's seeing. Yep. And uh, we've got a couple other displays on the side which you know, we use for different things in the, in the aircraft and um, it's all very well laid out. It's a side stick so it's not actually a... Okay center stick like what it was in the in the f-18 and f-15c so um, what that means is that you can really see everything that's kind of in front of you very clearly without having to look around the okay. control column. okay did you find that a challenge to uh you know to, to transition from have, having the stick in front of you now you've got it on the side but does that present a challenge when you're working with uh, such you know uh, high parameters of flight and uh, you know obviously with g-forces that sort of thing yeah it's actually a very easy transition to make um uh I think it's going to be harder to go back to a center stick than what it was to transition to a side <laughs> stick and it really only took just about 10 or 15 minutes in the in the simulator to really get a feel for it and you know after spent 10 or 15 minutes you're pretty comfortable in the aircraft and um, it was no problem at all. So. Okay. okay, so the uh, the ergonomics of the cockpit you've got a slightly canted back seat there um, not as much as the 16 but a little bit more than the 15. Yep. You're wedged in pretty tight there aren't you? Oh it's a, it's a reasonably tight but it's a little bit bigger than the F-18. Okay. But, um, you know, we, we have some very good flight equipment that we have and the guys maintain it very, very well. So our yeah. G-suit is a little bit different than what you might find on an aircraft like the F-18 or the F-15C. Um, you know, it's very, very uh, capable of supporting flight at sustained Gs, like uh, up to 9G, and, you know, you've really got no problems doing that in the F-22. So, um, so you're pulling nine Gs quite often. Or? Oh, you do. Yeah. yeah? Um, okay. you know, certainly when we're when we're turning. And yeah. When you, and uh, you know maybe engage in some form of uh, basic fighter maneuver type fight, then uh, yeah, you'll, you'll certainly be pulling upwards of or up to nine G. So it's not just the F-16s now that are doing that. No. No, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, the famous nine G turn. That's right. And it's probably a lot more comfortable in F-22 than what it is in a F-16, just largely because of our uh, life support equipment. Okay. Profile of the canopy on the F-22 is a, a little bit different to the uh, to the uh, to the Hornet. Do you find that gives much greater visibility for you? Yeah, well, um, they finally got rid of the, the canopy bow yeah. um, with the uh, the F-22, and that certainly aids in the visibility out of the cockpit. And you really do have an unimpeded 360-degree view when you're sitting in the jet. So, okay. I mean, that's great from a just enjoying the scenery perspective, but also tactical employment. Now, with the tactical side of things, you mentioned it's a lot easier tactically to get the aircraft around and fly it. Uh, what about in terms of, the, so, so now you're more managing the mission, you're more on top of the bigger picture and that whole networked environment of being part of a, a LinkedIn team, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, and, and how well does it handle that kind of uh, linking up with data from everyone else and presenting uh, to you? I mean, very, very well. I mean, the aircraft was, was designed from the ground up to really um, be employed in very large force um, type environments where you know there might be hundreds of aircraft out there and it does it very very well so yeah. the, the the engineers and you know the designers did a fantastic job with it okay with regard to its uh, to its flight envelope i guess and its speed is it a comparable speed and, and comparable performance for the most part we uh we, we tend to fly around at similar air speeds to what another fighter um, would would certainly fly around at one of our capabilities is to you know really get up um, high and fast and super cruise and we will do that at, at times depending on what the tactical situation might be um, and it's very very easy to get to, to that flight regime um, you know, the aircraft is very responsive with its engines and its uh, handling characteristics so um, from a pilot's perspective it's it's fantastic okay and those uh, variable pitch uh, position nozzles they they kick in at low speed yeah they kick in at all uh, different 
uh, speeds and flight environments depending on what you might be commanding the aircraft to do. So we certainly use them on takeoff. Um, we use them when we're high and maybe a little bit slow, and we certainly use them when we're uh, dogfighting. Okay. But it's all automatic, so the pilot really doesn't have uh, any control over what's going on with the, the nozzles. It's all just happening in the background. And how is she to dogfight? Very, um, it's a great BFM machine, so... Yeah. Um, very well at, at very high angles of attack and low angles of attack as well. So, okay. and we were told in a previous interview that all the, we the weapons on the aircraft are stored internally, so that obviously has some aerodynamic advantages uh, for you over more you know, previous generation fighter aircraft. Yeah, it certainly does. Okay. Uh, now, with the, you mentioned the life supports, the G suits, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you, you guys did an 11-hour haul with you were dragged over by a couple of tankers all the yep. way from Japan. Uh, our previous guys we chatted to mentioned that you had a bit of uh, weather you had to dodge. Now you're jammed in that cockpit there, not going anywhere. Yeah. What do you do for food, drink, and the inevitable uh, expulsion? Yeah. Well, um, we, we, t we take a lot of food with us. You don't yeah. want to get hungry, and more importantly, you don't want to get dehydrated in those uh, those long flights. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so you know, we, you, you break a long flight like that up into segments and uh, and just try and pace yourself through the you know the whole flight. Yeah. Um, as for you know dealing with uh, standard bodily functions, we, we try and take care of business before we uh, go flying <laughs> but, um, yeah. to the max extent possible but we also carry uh, I guess some um, I guess some, some bags to, yeah. to help out with things yeah. if we need to. Yeah. Range now, extenders. Uh, <laughs> our exchange programs between uh, our two air forces have been going on for a very long time and I guess there's a lot of uh, benefits uh, particularly for us I guess uh, going to a larger force like that. Can you tell us exactly uh, what's envisaged that you can bring back to Australia from your time uh, spent here with the F-22? Well Australia's about to make a very a very complicated transition from being largely a, a fourth gen uh, air combat capable force to a fifth gen force and there are a lot of things that are different when operating an aircraft like the F-22 than you know operating a you know classic Hornet so some of those transition um, evolutions that we're going to have to uh, to make you know I'll certainly be able to provide some assistance with when I come back to Australia um, you know also uh, to a degree with you know how we integrate um, our Super Hornets and our Classic Hornets into a larger coalition package where we might be operating with uh, F-22s as well is something that the exchange program is very, very important from Australia's perspective. Likewise, from the reciprocal side, uh, the US, it's very important that they understand what the capabilities are of our um, you know, Hornets, other assets that we have that we go out there and uh, integrate with on a, daily, uh, you know, on a routine basis. So uh, it's, it definitely is swings and roundabouts and... Uh, and the importance is, you know, it's not just important for Australia, but it's also important for the US as well. Yeah. Is there any sort of fixed length of time that these uh, deployments for you guys go on, or is it? Yeah, it's usually uh, it's usually a three-year um, assignment to, to go and um, be on an exchange program. So that's what uh, that's about the right amount of time, I think, to um, be able to settle down and, and uh, be able to contribute to the, the capability that you know, you're involved with. It's also, you know, about about the right amount of time away from home and um, and family and, and friends back here as well. Yeah. So, how have you found the transition into the USAF? Have they treated you well? Or? Oh, they've been very good. Yeah. I mean, our two countries are very, very closely aligned um, in our, um, you know, beliefs and, and how we actually tactically operate from a work perspective. So, the transition for me was very, very straightforward. And our fighter combat instructors back home in Australia spend a lot of time making sure that we can uh, remain completely interoperable with any uh, US um, uh, organization and capability so uh, that really the fact that I was able to go out um, over there and, and transition so simply was you know, really speaks very well of um, 
how well we do that here in Australia. Yeah, it's a long history of cooperation, so yep. it's good to see. Squadron Leader Matthew Harper, thank you very much yeah, for coming on the show, mate. I've really, really enjoyed your time. podcast, so uh, okay. good luck with it. Hopefully thanks, mate. Enjoy it, yes. <laughs> thanks, mate. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviationadvertiser.com.au. Would you like to podcast with the Lifestyle Pod Network? We are Australia's fastest growing podcast network, and we're looking for people who love to podcast. You get great benefits like a free blog, podcast hosting with unlimited bandwidth, and a great community of podcasters to connect with. Find out more by visiting lpnhost.com. This Avalon Quickcast episode is brought to you by Red Baron Adventures and Advanced Flight Training. Whether it's the ride of your life or taking your skills to a whole new level, Red Baron's professional staff of skilled pilots can take you to the limits. Go to www.redbaron.com.au for more details. I'm James Williams from the Lifestyle Pod Network and you're listening to the Plane Crazy Down Under podcast coming to you live from the Avalon Air Show 2011. Okay, we're sitting here at the controls of a uh, Gippsland Aeronautics Air Van and I'm here with Dave Wheatland, one of the uh, chief pilots here. Dave, welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. Happy and, to be uh, here. It's uh, great to have a change of pace, mate. We've been here at the Air Show all week and we've uh, been doing a lot of heavy metal. But uh, we really want to focus today on uh, GA, and uh, we thought, uh, you know, an Australian success story and a Victorian success story like Kip Zero is a good place to start. So uh, perhaps if you could uh, run us through some of the characteristics of the, uh, the aircraft we're in, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, the aircraft we're in is the turbocharged variant of the GA8 air van. It originally came out with a normally aspirated 300 horsepower engine, but of course the benefits of the turbocharged engine is... Uh, much better climb performance and better high altitude performance. So this particular aircraft, or the, or the turbocharged aircraft, has a TIO 540, and this air engine is uh, 320 horsepower to 5,000 feet, and then 300 horsepower to a critical altitude of about 14,000 feet. So it's a very good performing aeroplane, even at cross weight. It gives uh, a, a very good platform for skydiving operators and for people operating in high altitudes. So. And the, the concept of the air van, I mean, we talk about skydiving and we know a lot of skydiving operations uh, like to use this this aircraft, but uh, there's also many other types of utility uh, use, you know, uh, applications, if you like, that um, operators use them for. That's exactly right. The aircraft was initially designed to be able to fulfil quite a wide range of roles. Um, we envisaged and subsequently it's been proven that it's been a very good scenic flight aircraft. It actually flies RPT in some countries in the world. It provides island support. It provides um, passenger uh, transport to resorts and big game ranges in, in Africa. It uh, is used by humanitarian organisations for community support in remote and regional areas all around the world. Uh, also for aerial survey 
carrying a range of sensors and communications equipment as well. So, and uh, one of the latest things we've done is is the Medivac installation with our own design of uh, specialist aviation stretcher that we can supply. So, yes, it does a wide range of roles and it does all of them well, and that's a, really a difficult thing to do with a, a general purpose aircraft. Yeah, one of the um, one of the uh characteristics of this aircraft that it's quite well known for is its uh, stall capability, short takeoff and landing. Um, how have you approached that design? I know there's no specific sort of stall kit on the wing as you would, uh, you know, probably traditionally see on an aircraft that's designed for that. Well, traditionally you see stall kits on aircraft which weren't originally designed to be a stall aircraft. If you utilise design parameters which uh, incorporate uh, the fundamentals of a stall aircraft and Typically, if you look out at the wing section, you'll see a wing section that's very reminiscent of the Piper Cub. It's the US-35B modified aerofoil section, which the aero modelers would know as Clark Y, flat on the bottom, curvy on the top. And that sort of wing section lends itself very well to being for providing high lift and good predictive uh, handling characteristics. And it is, in fact, the, the wing that you find on the Mall and the Piper Cub and a number of those sort of aircraft. So if you start with an aerofoil, that's, that's got the right application. You use a flap system, particularly a mechanical flaps, which can be, you can very quickly apply them and take them off as required. The, the amount of flap area you have, and then the amount of uh, flap extension you have, uh, you end up with an aircraft which uh, has got a very capable performance uh, out of uh, short areas. And, we demonstrated the aircraft in the early days, even the normally aspirated variant. We demonstrated that in the Highlands of New Guinea. And uh, the book figures actually, because they're so conservative under the current uh, certification regulations, don't accurately reflect the, the real performance of the aircraft. So, no, we're very, very happy with the way it gets in and out of confined areas. It can operate in, uh, in mountains. It's got a good turning radius because you can use full flap in flight to turn it. Wow. And uh, a lot of the operators in the, in the mountainous regions find it a very comfortable aeroplane to operate in that environment. And when you add the large windows and the excellent visibility, that provides a level of confidence in the pilots that some aircraft, other aircraft, don't quite match up to. Now, David, you know, the first impressions I get, and obviously uh, with my experience uh, being basically a Cessna 172 pilot most of my life, it looks like quite a large 172, uh, but I'm just looking at the uh, the ergonomic way that the uh, the cockpit is laid out here with all the, uh, the gauges and whatnot, and I like the throttle quadrant here, much like an airliner. Um, what was the design theory behind that? Well, there's a number of aspects. Because the aircraft's designed for single pilot operation, we optimised the ergonomics in the cockpit so that the pilot could reach almost every single thing in the cockpit with his right hand only. So you'll notice on the left hand side of the cockpit there's only the engine switches and the fuel shut off, emergency shut off. They're required uh, to be operated by the left hand so everything else you can get to quickly and easily. We've angled things so that they're more visible to the pilot, more accessible to the pilot and the centre console is mounted on on a pedestal and that pedestal constitutes what is essentially a very large triangular gusset which connects to the firewall. The windscreen centre pillar 
is also connected to the mains bar carry through and the rear door frame members are very substantial members and so what that means is the pilot is sitting inside a triangle a very strong structural triangle and this has been borne out in, a, in the accidents that have occurred so far the pilots and passengers have escaped with very minimal injuries and one of those reasons in particular with the cockpit is the fact that this very strong triangle that's up the front uh, really protects the front seat occupants. A lot of light aircraft have a rectangular uh, door aperture and a rectangular structure around that and that's prone to uh, parallelogramming or squashing yep. and uh, in a, like a pitch over impact that could bring the engine up into the cockpit area it'll just snap it up but that doesn't happen with the air van the cockpit remains in one piece. Yeah, that's excellent. And the feedback that you've had from pilots uh, from an operator's perspective, I'm looking at here now, I'm sitting in the left seat, the vision is excellent. And the access, I find, is excellent. The doors actually swing. Uh, for those who are listening to the audio version, the doors uh, don't just sort of stop halfway, like uh, most aircraft I'm used to. They actually swing fully forward and right out of the way. I find that uh, very, very handy, for uh, particularly for somebody my size. They also lock open, so they won't blow around in the wind. And when they are locked open, even when you're in the pilot seat, you can reach out and unlock it, and uh, that's a bit of an advantage as well. Now, we've, there's a lot of, a lot of cons things are being considered, and we built into the aircraft. The aircraft was designed by uh, a small group of people who were both uh, aircraft maintenance engineers and pilots, and commercial pilots, all combined. So we tried to combine the best with uh, access for manufacturing, access for maintenance, simplicity of design and construction and to make it very pleasant aircraft to fly and a good aircraft for the operator so that's easier easy and quick to load and unload and easy and quick to change the configuration for freight and passengers yep yep it's it's I, i'm really impressed with the and the other thing i like about it too is it's got a bit of headroom i know particularly if i get into something like a piper warrior i find a bit cramped <laughs> can we talk about some of the performance parameters of it? i'm looking here at the airspeed indicator it looks like the v and e is just attached over 180 uh, so what would it test out at normally? The aircraft, the turbocharged aircraft at typical operating altitudes where you wouldn't be using oxygen, tests out around about 100, a little bit over 130 knots, around about between 130 and 135. Of course, with a turbocharged aircraft, if you keep pushing the levers forward, you can keep going faster, <laughs> uh, but you will use more, more fuel, of course. At altitude, the aircraft is a real benefit because the turbocharged installation allows you to hunt for more favourable winds and provided you've got some supplemental oxygen and particularly this one's fitted with the uh, Aspen Evolution uh, Pro 1000 which is an excellent little mini EFIS. it's a sort of a bridge EFIS between a full glass and a partial glass cockpit and that has a direct reading uh, wind readout in it so that you can read the wind strength and direction continuously so the turbocharged platform allows you to keep climbing or descending <laughs> to find your optimum wind you combine that with uh, the benefits of true airspeed and a bit of leaning with altitude and you'll get a very efficient aircraft. So uh, the aircraft, we quite often uh, transit the aircraft if there's favourable winds at 16 and 17,000 feet just with a cannula oxygen system and you can achieve very high ground speeds, good tazzers at very moderate fuel burns. Now uh, 
obviously, as we talked about before, it's got uh, great short field performance, so you'd be able to rotate this off the deck uh, at a pretty low speed, I imagine. Well, the aircraft rotates at about 57 knots. The VR rotation speed is now a nominated speed. That wasn't applicable to any of the older-style aircraft, so a Cessna 206 doesn't have a VR. We actually do have a VR, and VR is predicated on being a multiple of the stall speed in the, the power-off stall speed for the configuration. So VR is 57 knots. Uh, VTOS in the aircraft is 71 knots at gross weight. But you achieve that with very moderate runway distances and in very confined areas or an emergency situation or to get the aircraft into the air quickly to reduce the ground section of the roll, some operators use uh, full flap for takeoff and the aircraft will take off uh, because of the stall speeds much lower, it can rotate at lower speeds. So it can rotate at around about 45 knots yeah, and yeah. launch into the air. It still takes about the same distance to 50 feet, but you can uh, dramatically minimise the ground roll. What about duration, Dave? What about uh, your on the average cruise? What sort of fuel flow would you be using per hour? Well, again, you've got levers there, and you can use them as as suits you to for for speed and altitude. Typically, we find the aircraft cruises quite happily. Uh, if you want about 120 knots, 60 litres an hour, 130 to 135 knots, a little bit over 70 litres an hour, and if you want to go faster than that, you can do about 142 knots. Uh, at about uh, 80 to 85 litres an hour. So it all just takes fuel, but the, more, the quicker you burn the fuel, uh, you reduce your endurance. The, one of the great aspects of the aeroplane is that you can fly it at extremely low power settings. You can reduce the power setting to very low fuel flows for things like fire spotting, and that vastly increases the endurance. So the endurance of the aircraft is really, the turbocharged aircraft is anywhere from about nine hours at a very low loiter power setting up to about four and a half hours at a, at a normal cruise setting but the higher speeds you get with altitude of course uh, doesn't dramatically uh, change the range from the normally aspirated aircraft yeah yep and i hear i hear uh, tell around the traps that uh, there's actually a, a more powerful engine coming for this uh, for this aircraft yes at the moment we're negotiating with an engine manufacturer for a a slightly more powerful engine for the float plane version that's associated with a with the float plane program that we're running at the moment in association with uh, Whipline in the USA. They're the float specialists, so they're the people we've gone to, and uh, that will be a 350 horsepower variant, and uh, we think that will provide. Uh, more than adequate thrust for the float variant to be able to get up on the step very quickly, preserve the stall characteristics and make it a real bush seaplane, something that can really directly compete with the older aircraft like the Beaver in particular. It's been a workhorse in that sort of uh, category for a long time and if we can build a build the better beaver then we think that the world will beat a bit of a path to our door absolutely well gifts arrow as i said at the top uh, dave it's absolutely an australian success story and we wish you every success uh, going forward uh, sounds like exciting times for you guys with uh, mahindra uh, purchasing the company and uh, moving you forward so well, we wish you all the best and thanks for showing us around this afternoon thank you very much steve my pleasure Okay, so we're uh, camped here in the media centre and we're uh, chatting now with probably the hardest working person that we've ever seen in the entire Australian Air Force, both times we've dealt with her. It's quite Lieutenant Sky Smith. How are you, Sky? Hi, good, thanks. Wow, that's quite an introduction. I don't know if I certainly agree with that. I do work hard, but there's certainly a lot of people behind the scenes. It's very much a team effort here at the uh, Australian International Air Show. That's very diplomatic, Sky. We've watched you at Amberley when you were tagging around saying, oh, come on, come on, come on, and look at this. <laughs> yeah, 
keeping a bunch of media media people in line. It's, yeah, it's yeah, certainly yeah. a very interesting job. I've um, certainly had lots of great opportunities um, that probably I haven't been able to experience in other jobs or working with the media. So it's certainly a, a great chance to come out here and, and show off our capabilities here celebrating the Air Force's 90th anniversary here at the uh, Avalon with the International Air Show here. So it's uh, certainly a fantastic job and opportunity to be here. Cool. Yeah, Scott, you're with the Air Combat Group and uh, of course it's every many other groups of the Air Force are here. So obviously it's been a team effort, but your normal job, what, what is it exactly you do besides chase podcasters around? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess there's certainly different aspects of the job being a public affairs officer. There's certainly the external side, looking after the media and setting up opportunities. Um, really getting the stories out. It's all the guys working on the jets and flying the jets that have got all the great stories to tell. So it's really my job trying to facilitate that and really promote the great job that those guys are doing and also obviously all the capabilities that we're getting, particularly online now with the Super Hornet, um, the Heron RPA, which is the remotely piloted aircraft, which is over in Afghanistan at the moment. Um, so I guess that's part of my job. The other part of the job is obviously the internal communications, making sure that um, the rest of the Air Force and the Greater Australian Defence Force have an understanding of, uh, and appreciation of what it is that Air Combat Group does. Um, and the other part of the job, um, which is also quite busy, is uh, strategic guidance uh, to our commander. So providing him, obviously, with the information he needs to make the decision. So it's a, certainly a very important job for someone um, of my rank and level as a flight lieutenant. Um, certainly very challenging, but very rewarding as well. Okay. Um, now, Sky, how did you go about joining the Air Force? You know, the questions we've been asking everyone else we're going to throw at you. What was your career path? Yeah, that's here? certainly fair, I guess. It's my job to um, to help facilitate other people um, being in this situation, having interviews. So it's certainly different being on the this side of the microphone. Um, I probably didn't join the Air Force um, like most other people. I was actually in high school at the time. I joined as an active reservist um, while I worked my way through uni. So had the fantastic opportunity of the Air Force who sponsored me um, to do my journalism degree and my master's at university. Um, and from there commissioned and uh, have been in for about 10 years now and recently transferred over to the permanent Air Force. So during that time, I've worked with Surveillance Response Group, uh, predominantly with the 92 Wings P3 Orion aircraft, with their surveillance work that they're doing, which is obviously a very important contribution to protecting national interests. Um, and with that, had the fantastic opportunity to go over to the Middle East area of operations and serve there for six months. So it's um, certainly been a, a very eye-opening experience and very challenging, as I said, very, very rewarding. So I've um, had the opportunity to move around the different groups within the Air Force and hopefully try and promote the, the very different and important capabilities that we have here, as well as obviously the great people we have working on these aircraft. Tell us about some of the challenges of going over to the Middle East. In, you're in a combat area, obviously, and it's um, you know I guess uh, some of the resources have been stretched at times. What are some of the challenges you faced? Yeah. Um, I guess we work with a very professional team in the Air Force, um, particularly with the 92 and P3 Orion guys. They're very operational, so this is the type of stuff that they do back here in Australia, protecting our northern coastlines and borders with the asylum seekers, the illegal fisheries, um, all along that Darwin coastline there. So I guess basically they've been doing that job here in Australia for many, many years now. So it's essentially taking that capability over to Afghanistan and Iraq um, in the Middle East area of operations. And so it's basically just what we've been learning here, taking that capability over there. So as I said, they're a very professional bunch of guys. Um, I guess the quiet achievers, um, 92-wing, are, are predominantly known as because they sort of stealth in, uh, do their job, and a uh, very important job providing that information down to the guys on the ground, um, trying to help protect them as well. So it's, I guess it's my job to try and help promote that capability and the very important work that those guys are doing. Well, um, so Sky, 
you've uh, been doing quite a bit of uh, work in the Air Force so far, now you're on media. Where to from here, do you think? Very good question. I've got um, the rest of the year that I'll be with Air Combat Group as their public affairs officer, but certainly like the challenge, the operational tempo um, that we've had here working with surveillance and response group and now with Air Combat Group, I guess I, I've kind of got to push myself further. Um, so looking at something within the ministerial area, so perhaps an aide-de-comp to the Minister for Defence, which I think would be very challenging and rewarding oh, yeah. itself as well. Even more running. Yes. <laughs> thank you. You've done a great job looking after us and uh, yeah. yeah, I think you'll do very well everywhere. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. You too as well, obviously, promoting what we're doing here at the, the air show. Um, again, celebrating our 90th anniversary with the Royal Australian Air Force and just all the capabilities and personnel that are here. It's, it's definitely a very rewarding job. Yeah. Thank you very much. And now it's time for Timbo's Tarmac. Timbo, mate, another packed tarmac, another whole lot of blue skies today though, and it looks like you guys were flat out doing the air show. How you been? Yeah, no, very busy morning for us. Everything that we had uh, operational flew early today, so uh, we had to mad scramble to get them all lined up, but preparation, we got them all out on time. No delay to air show. Cool. Anything uh, of interest today? Any uh, interesting stories that came up with the uh, operational tempo? Uh, no, we didn't break anything on our field. Uh, Connie went US, so she didn't fly, obviously. Yeah, she went US last night. Uh, no, she flew last night. Yeah, I saw her flying last night. Did she go US in the air? Or no, flew, we were, they were starting up this morning and she, she carked it. Clang. Mm. <laughs> Oops. That's the joy of, uh, of flying one of those big old birds. There's so Ready much that can go wrong. I think. <laughs> She certainly blows a lot of oil. <laughs> Definitely, but no, apart from that, no, good clean day. Show was on time most of the day, so no problems at all. Okay. And uh, I understand the B1B had a bit of problems yesterday. Yeah, it had some sort of a hydraulic problem that caused it an issue with flaps, so uh, they went for the extra runway at Melbourne and went in there to fix the problem up there. Cool. Okay, mate. Well, I guess that's pretty much it for today. Yeah, no, it's all been good. We've had plenty of aircraft here, as you can see, full, full uh, line-up today, and uh, they'll all be back tomorrow. Yeah. And so you're going to have another busy day just like today tomorrow. Is there any major change in the tempo? We'll find out the briefing in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you never know till the sheets come out, right? And then you never know. Exactly. <laughs> they don't call it the <clears throat> sheet for nothing. That's it, the dream sheet. <laughs> oh, that's the polite version. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy. And now it's time for In the Keyhole with Papa Smurf. Sitting in for Papa Smurf today, we have Taffy. Taffy's the boss, but he's been a bit uh, microphone shy. But uh, today he's agreed to tell us about the fun they've had in the keyhole. Uh, it was a busy day, very busy, especially with a lot of public and the fact that they changed the schedule that the C-17 had to leave in the middle of the house display, which means in a, what's always a very congested area anyway, we had the C-17, Spartan, Connie, the Cat, the DC-3, and the whatever the navy thing with it neptune neptune that'll do <laughs> um all moving at the same time and at the also to add to the mix we had the american robots on their 16 the ones that move their arms up and down very stuff oh, <laughs> the right. display team yeah actually on the loop so we just had to uh, do a lot of moving a lot of hard work by the boys but as we always do every two years we got away with it without any damage to anybody or anything <laughs> and, uh, 
Well That's done. all you're getting. Well done, Zachary. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, there we go, gentlemen. It's uh, been a long and exhausting day. We're standing here in the car park and uh, we're watching the cars stream out and head back up the Geelong Freeway. And uh, we're just going to sit here probably for another half hour, I think, and uh, let them go because uh, we, we know from previous air show experience that the freeway becomes gridlocked on air show weekend. And, uh, well, boy, have we done anything interesting today, boys? Well, I think we have. I think we've done some absolutely amazing things today. And I also think it's kind of fitting that uh, there's helicopter noise in the background like there was at the start of the day. It looks like they're starting to stream and take everyone home. And, yeah, that does still look like a better way to get home. But you know what? I think you're right, Steve. I think there was something really important that happened today. And I think the best way to sum it up is to have this spoken word. I've been Anthony... I've sat in the pilot seat of a B-52H bomber, Simmons, and I've had one hell of a day. I'd say mission accomplished, mate. He's learned something. And not only that, Anthony, you sat in a pilot seat and you've managed to trump the pair of us? Well, uh, not by... speaking. Well, not by, uh, you know, sort of choice of trying, but it just so happened that it was my natural position. Oh. <laughs> the commander said, yes, we all got up into the, uh, the B-52H, a 1961 model, if you don't mind, 50 years old. An imposing and impressive machine, and uh, yeah, we all got up into the cockpit. We've taken heaps of video, done some great interviews. The uh, the flight crew there were more than happy to show us in, in as much as possible. Uh, there were a few stations there that were blanked off that we couldn't see, but as far as the cockpit goes, well, there's no secrets there. Uh, and they showed us everything. Absolutely amazing, and uh, we will have that uh, that video together. It might take us a little while to get it out, but uh, boy, it was absolutely amazing. I'm going to tick that one off my list of things I wanted to do in my life. Yeah, mate, I never thought I'd ever stand inside, well, crouch inside a B-52 for a huge aircraft. There's not a lot of space in there, but I thought I was doing pretty well to have my photo taken from outside, sitting in the uh, right-hand seat. And then after I finished the interview with uh, the uh, radar navigator downstairs, I discover that the infrequent flyer himself has been converted. Oh, ever so slightly. Oh, and then, and then it was up close and personal with the wedge tail. We didn't get to go inside naturally. It's very hush-hush, top secret. But we were right in the wing route and under the underneath the wing and uh, getting right up close and personal with that wedge tail. Absolutely brilliant-looking piece of equipment. Uh, does it does get called the toaster because it looks like there's a big piece of toast sticking up out of its back. And if they turn the equipment on and you're too close, you're toasted. But, uh, Anthony, how was that for you? Well, that was interesting, but I still think that the highlight of the day, apart from the B-52, would have to be the photo on the Sabre. That's right. Anthony and I were over uh, with Adam, who was busy taking photos on the Warbird tarmac, and I was interviewing uh, Paul Simmons, a.k.a. Simo, on the wing of the Sabre. He and I were sitting on the wing, a little bit difficult to get onto, had a little bit of help, thank you, Adam. Uh, kind of embarrassing, but we did it. And uh, we're leaning back against the fuselage, sitting on the, on the wing, having a good old chat, and at the end, Anthony came up and joined us and Adam managed to get two of the classic shots of the F-86 Sabre pilots standing with the left foot on the wing route, the right foot stretched out and in the kick step, uh, the helmet under the right hand and hanging onto the uh, sill of the, uh, the rail of the canopy with your left hand and a big cheese-eating grin. <laughs> I think I could get into this uh, airplane business. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, the day that man rocks up to Moravian Airport and says, Hi, I want to start doing my PPL, that's when we know our job is, our work is done here at this podcast. And that's when it's time to start walking, because it's with a big lead umbrella, because there's going to be bits of aircraft falling on you when Anthony flies overhead, I tell you. Yeah. Now, Adam, uh, tell us about how many photos you got today, mate. Uh, looks like those uh, very expensive cameras you brought with you uh, are working overtime. Uh, we've been a, been a little bit slow today uh, following you guys around with your interviews, but we're up around about 1,100, 1,200 photos for the day, so hopefully tomorrow we can get to about 4,500 
and we'll be happy we might get one or two good ones out of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a serious business photography and Adam has been investing very heavily. If you've been following our Facebook page, you'd know he's got some fantastic camera gear and I think uh, I think the big lens is coming tomorrow, isn't it, mate? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do a good workout tomorrow and throw an extra five and a half kilos on the back and um, we'll see if the 600 millimeter can catch a smile on the pilot's face and see if it can match Grant and everyone else today at the air show who's been having a good old time and looking at all the planes that we don't get to get up close and personal with very often. I don't think I want any more weight in that backpack, mate. I actually lugged it out here myself uh, when we uh, when we came out here after you lot abandoned me in the well, media Well, I, I must say, if, if nothing else went to plan today, that for me did. So. <laughs> <laughs> the cameraman didn't have to lug his own gear. Now, of course, in this quick cast, we featured uh, squadron leader Matt Harper. We actually recorded that uh, that interview yesterday and uh, just took me overnight to get it uh, knocked down and edited nicely. We had to make sure that everybody was happy with it uh, at an official level before we released it. So uh, that's all good. Uh, just a Fascinating interview there, mate. Oh, yeah, absolutely brilliant to be able to talk to uh, another RAAF uh, squadron leader doing it good over with the USAF. Yep, representing our country with distinction and, uh, you know, to, to, to get out there and uh, actually be flying the F-22, the first Australian pilot to do it, uh, that's just a sensational effort. Now, uh, I was uh, in the uh, Gips Aero uh, GA8 turbo air van today and uh, got behind the controls and uh, Grant looks like we might actually get a chance to do an air test on that one. Might actually be our first uh, coming up as a result of our interview. Yep. But uh, talking there to their chief pilot, Dave Wheatland, of course, that was a... Uh, you know, really, uh, really interesting aircraft. I've, I've seen them around a lot, uh, particularly around the skydiving operations, which take place not far from my place. But to actually get behind the controls, uh, that's a really nice aircraft. I'm looking forward to flying that. Yeah, I've seen them a bit down at Coldstream. Mission Aviation Fellowship fly them a lot, uh, especially up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, but they have a few down here in Victoria. And uh, an amazing aircraft and absolutely brilliant to see an Australian design, built, manufactured and exported piece of hardware flying all around the world. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty happy just to let you squeeze into that uh, cockpit there. It looked pretty roomy once the time you got in. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, when I first started to fly, you know, I was actually flying in a uh, Cessna 152 Aerobat. I don't think I'd squeeze into it these days. So, uh, you know, I, I think the air van is more my size these days. There you go. Yeah, more train driver size, although, you know, <laughs> we've got Anthony here as a train driver also and is uh, about a third my size, so what do I know? Anyhow, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, of course, we also had uh, Flight Lieutenant uh, Sky Smith there, mate. What a superstar she is. Uh, absolute legend. Uh, she's been really, really helping us get access to uh, a whole lot of uh, fast combat jets. She is, of course, with the uh, combat operations. The uh, She's with the same uh, wing that has the Hawks and the um, F-18s and the Supers and so on. Uh, we met her up at uh, Amberley with the F-111 Media Day. She was down here again, so we're catching up with her, and she's introducing us to all the uh, media guys down here with the Raffies, um, helping get us access to pretty much everyone in the RAF if we wanted them. Yep, absolutely, and all the uh, the RAAF personnel that we've spoken to uh, while we've been here that you've heard so far have been uh, thanks to Sky Smith organising that for us, uh, and uh, also um, the uh, the content that we're going to have coming up uh, in future episodes that we've recorded here. Uh, if it has anything to do with the RAF, it's got uh, primarily to do with uh, Sky Smith and her team. So that just about wraps it up here from Avalon on day five but uh, one more thing just before we go now you've been hearing our ads our wonderful sponsors that uh, brought us down here and one of those of course is uh, Red Baron Adventures Joel Haskey Joel who's had the pleasure of throwing Grant around at about 8Gs or something uh, not long ago when he brought the Red Bull stunt plane down here to Melbourne uh, Joel's uh, asked us to pass on to our listeners uh, you've been hearing the ads he's been really happy with the exposure he's been getting and he's asked to pass on to our listeners that if uh, you uh, make contact with his office and make a booking and mention that you heard it uh, here on Playing Crazy Down Under he'll uh, give you a 10% discount on uh, whatever package you choose to select that's right that's a 10% discount on your adventure flight if you mention Playing Crazy Down Under when you make your booking with uh, Red Baron in Sydney 
Absolutely. Joel Joel Heskey talking of superstars. What a great guy. And we really do appreciate the sponsorship uh, that we've had here. Also from uh, Tembi Automotive and uh, also from Aviation Advertiser. We wouldn't have been down here doing all this work for our audience this week if it hadn't been for those three organisations. And uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, the PCDU mobile has burned a lot of fuel and put on a lot of miles going back and forth. And uh, speaking of fuel, food here is not exactly cheap at at an air show. And so without all that, we wouldn't have been able to afford the uh, fuel, the food, and uh, all the extra equipment we bought with us. So yeah. thanks, guys. Really appreciate your help and support. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that just about, uh, well, in fact, that does wrap it up here for day five. We're starting to stumble over our words, Grant, because I'm really tired. How about you, mate? Oh, no, I think there's still a bit of this uh, energy drink still going. I mean, those cans of mother, you get the big half-litre ones, they kick you. Okay. Adam and Anthony, thanks very much for coming along and helping us out today. And uh, that's been a really uh, great time. We hope you've enjoyed it too. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. And just remember... It's what's down under that counts. In a B-52H, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, with classified ads starting as low as $39. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community, aviationadvertiser.com.au. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at our website, playingcrazydownunder.com. Contact us with feedback, story ideas or advertising inquiries. Drop us a line anytime, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media podcast.